Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. It's on page 952, I believe, in the Pew Bible. If you would turn there with me this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to look at the first nine verses. As you're turning there, before we pray and go to God's Word, I want to thank you guys for all the prayers, all the help. We are in. After the service, I only have one goal for today. And that's to get the TV set up and working by 8.20 this evening. <laughs> Most of you probably know why. I'm not even sure who they're playing tonight, to be honest with you. Falcons? Okay, that should be a win. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Our Father, what a joy, what a privilege to call you Father. What joy. And Father, we know that joy is not happiness. Joy is so much deeper. Joy is trust in you when all else gives way. Joy is knowing that you reign when everything else falls apart. Help us this morning to be overcome with joy. Help us this morning to learn how to live as saints together, to learn how to live as your people united together. Father, give us ears to hear. Give us minds to understand and give us hearts to believe and give us hands to do in response to your word. Be with us this morning as we hear from your powerful, mighty, dividing word. We give you thanks and praise in Christ's mighty name. Amen. Picture the scene with me. An epic sword fight is unfolding among the ruins overlooking the cliffs of insanity. An ego Montoya is locked in battle with the man in black. And after dueling it out, Inigo finally confesses, I admit it, you are better than I am. To which the man in black replies, then why are you smiling? Because I know something you do not know. And what is that? I am not left-handed. Then after a few more moments of swordplay, the man in black tells Inigo, you are amazing. He responds, I ought to be after 20 years. There's something I ought to tell you. I'm not left-handed either. Upon realizing that Inigo is no match for the man in black, he asks, who are you? To which the man in black says, no one of consequence. I must know. Get used to disappointment. For those who've, that illustration just gone completely over your head, the princess bride. This question, who are you, is the question we want to spend the next few months as a church seeking to answer. Who are you? So Grace Chapel, 
Who are you? Who are we? Who are we as the people of God? See, this question is a question of identity. Who are we? This is actually why we are slowing down because we need to figure out who we are. See, this question of identity, a question of who we are, needs to happen before we actually do. We need to know who we are before we do. See, our identity needs to shape our activity. What we do must follow from who we are. And Ego had to get used to disappointment. He was defeated. He was bonked on the head by the man in black. Grace Chapel, the hope is that we do not get bonked on the head trying to figure out who we are. Okay, this is something we're going to take the next few months to figure out in the ABF, in the Sunday School. We're doing that as we go through rehearsing what Jesus loves, what drives us should be what drives Jesus. And looking at that, the sermon series in 1 Corinthians. We're going to not do the entire book. We're going to do a bulk of the selections as we go into December. Looking at who we are as the people of God. We want to answer that question, that who we are question, that question of identity. We want to know what is our purpose here? What has God called us to do in Havertown, in Delaware County, and Philly, and beyond? In order to do that, we're going to 1 Corinthians. So the question that we'll be seeking to answer throughout this is, what is our identity? Who are we as the people of God? And that, in order to answer that question, we really need to ask three foundational questions that we'll come across throughout our time in 1 Corinthians. The first one is this, what do we believe? What do we as a church, as the people of God, believe? We are Scripture-centered, so we need to get our beliefs from God's Word. The second question is this, what do we love? What do we as the people of God love? That's what we're focusing on during the ABF time. The third question, what do we do? This is Robert hits the road. What are we to do? Building upon the foundation of what we believe and what we love, what then are we supposed to do as a local body of followers of Christ? What may we as the local church do to proclaim the glories of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So what do we believe? What do we love? And what do we do? All of these questions are questions of identity. Who are we as a church? So as we begin with 1 Corinthians, looking at the first nine verses, we're going to focus on this morning two foundational statements and one application. Those, these two foundational statements are questions. They answer, who are we as the people of God? And then we're going to have one application of, okay, if we are those two things, how do we live? The first foundational statement is this. We are the church of God. We are the church of God. The second one is this. We are sanctified in Christ Jesus. So the foundational statements, we are the church of God, we are sanctified in Christ Jesus, and those two lead us to this application. We are called to be saints together. Together. If we are the church of God, if we are the sanctified in Christ Jesus, then we must live as saints together. Let's go and read God's word this morning. 1 Corinthians 
chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. God's holy word says to his holy people, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, you are faithful. Help us to follow you, to be faithful in response to your word. Help us to hear from you this morning. In your great name we pray, amen. We are the church of God. Brothers and sisters, all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are the church of God. It's the first foundational identity statement of who we are. And from being the church of God, I just want to pull out three short points on that. The first one is this. The church is the church of God. The church of God is the church of God. Paul writes, to the church of God that is in Corinth. Now what a declaration is. Don't miss that. As we walk through the book, we'll see that the church in Corinth is anything but a model church. You could describe it this way. They are a broken, hot mess. They're a disaster. But Paul still declares them the church of God. Don't lose sight of that because Grace Chapel, guess what? We are a broken, hot mess. But guess what we also are? The church of God. What a declaration that is. And that's beauty for us. Because we are united with Christ, we join in. We are a part of the church of God. We are the called out ones. We were once enslaved to the kingdom of darkness. We've been brought into his marvelous light through the bloody death of Christ and the powerful resurrection. We have been rescued, redeemed, and restored. That church is good news. That's why Paul is able to write in verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. 
Paul, who's writing a letter full of problems, writing a letter trying to sort out the Corinthian church, gives thanks to God, not for what they have done, but for God's grace in their lives. They're a mess who are redeemed mess. They are the saints, the church of God. And Paul stops in the very beginning and he gives thanks to God. Church, we all know we're not very thankful people. How often do we stop and give thanks to God? Like Paul does in the very beginning. Oh, what grace, Paul says. The grace of God that is given, poured out in Christ Jesus. We just sang the gift of love and righteousness. Scorned by the ones He came to save, Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin, my sin, your sin, on Him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, we live. That should be creating in us thankful hearts for being the church of God. The second aspect of being the church of God is that we, the church is both universal and local. We talked a bit about this during the ABF time. Look at verse 2. Paul writes, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Paul's writing to a church in a geographical place in Corinth. He's writing to the local church, but he's saying the church is bigger than Corinth. The church is inclusive of all the saints together. Grace Chapel, the church is bigger than Grace Chapel. And that's good news. That is good news for us. Because we are not alone. We are one piece of God's broader plan. And though churches come and go, God's church will prevail. It keeps marching on. We are not alone. And that means we also don't do the tasks that we have to do alone. The bigger picture for churches that become, it's so easy as a church to become so inward focused. Because it's easy as people to become inward focused, right? When we become inward focused, we are only concerned about who? Me, me, me. And what happens when we're so focused looking at ourselves, who do we not see? Everyone else. Grace Chapel, the fact that Christ's church is bigger than us is good news because it helps us see that the world is bigger. God's plan is bigger. His mission is bigger. His purposes and plans are bigger than what is going on right here and right now. And that is good news for us. That helps put us in perspective. That, in a sense, puts us in our place, so to speak. The third thing. The church of God is sustained and upheld by God's grace. We're promised that Jesus will sustain His people to the end. Look at verses 8 and 9. Paul says that the Lord Jesus 
will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The hope there is that we are not just taken care of in the here and now of our lives. God is not just here now for us. He is here for us forever. And we will be sustained, held up, kept. God is a promise-keeping God, a covenant-keeping God. He promises that He will be our God and we will be His people. That is a promise that will never and has never and can never be broken. God keeps His own. Those who He makes pure and sanctified by the power of the Spirit. So together, we are called into God's new community by His grace and mercy. We're sustained and upheld by grace and mercy. Church, we are the saved of God. We are His people. The beloved church. The church of God. The first foundational statement. The second foundational statement of who we are in Christ. We are sanctified in Christ Jesus. We are called to be holy to the Lord, set apart to serve Him for His glory. You know what that means? In spite of all of our thinking that we are our own boss, we are not our own. We have been bought with, as we'll see later on in 1 Corinthians, a price. And that price is the precious blood of Christ. So to be sanctified in Christ Jesus means that we are to be declared a saint. We are not saints because of anything we have done. We are, made, we are declared saints because of what Christ has done. Nothing that we have done. All the work of Christ. We are declared holy. Paul could write to the Corinthians church that was a mess and say, you are holy people. But then the call was to live as holy people. There's nothing holy in us apart from Christ. The list of sins and brokenness in the Corinthian church, as we'll see, is overwhelming. We often have this idea that churches should be perfect. I don't know where that idea crept in. I think it's satanic, maybe, because it's not. Churches are, if, we, if you, you, you see all the ideals we should be striving for and we strive for them. But Paul is writing every single letter he wrote was to correct some sinful issues in the church. What that means is the church is going to continually have sinful issues to be dealt with. But God's Word is powerful and active and sharper than any double-edged sword and can work out those issues. As sanctified in Christ, there is nothing that we bring. It is God's grace. There is power in that grace. Paul says it is enriching and transforming grace. You know what this means? The good news is that God doesn't leave us where we are. When you walk in here this morning and you walk out, there should be, even if it's so slightly incremental you can't see it, a change. Because you've heard and hopefully believed God's Word. One of my, the professors, I never had him at Bible college, he said, with God there's always progression. 
And I like the idea, the idea that God is always conforming us into the image of His Son, Romans 8.29. That is our goal. That is our end point, to be conformed into the image of Christ. And what good news is that for those who are so seem so far removed from that godly image? That's God's goal, and He will sustain us and keep us and hold us to the end. And His grace is powerful enough and transformative enough and enriching enough. Look at verses 5-7. through Paul says that in every way you are enriched. In Him, in all speech, in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace Chapel, do you realize that in every way we are enriched in speech and in knowledge? Our hearts are being transformed. Our minds are being transformed. Our hands will then be transformed. All for God's, for service to God, for glory of God. Our beliefs, our loves, and our actions are now under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. When you place your faith and trust in Christ, what you are declaring is that, God, you are the king of my head. God, you are the king of my heart. God, you are the king of my hands. I am bought with a price. I am yours. You are Lord. So Paul says, live sanctified lives. Now, as the redeemed church, we live in accord with our calling We are not lacking in any gift. God has given us all gifts necessary to serve Him. Each one of you has a gift or multiple gifts to serve God. The local church, every local church, I believe is like a giant jigsaw puzzle. And each one of us is a piece, an important piece. If that, When we work out our gifts, those pieces come together and form the church and form a beautiful portrait of the body of Christ. And that's what we long to see at Grace Chapel. Each piece working together, joined together in unity, showing forth the beauty of the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is beautiful. And the body of Christ is us. And we fit to that end. The job of the church leaders is to equip It is the job of the church to serve. The pastors and elders are not the only ones doing the work of ministry. Our work, our job is to prepare all of you, all of us to do the work of the ministry. A big part of that does take place on Sunday. I'd say Sunday is foundational to Monday, right? We had one person in our previous church who said, I'm so glad I can make it out Sunday morning because that gives me the strength to face Monday. And there's some truth to that where Sunday helps build a foundation for Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. But the point being is that Sunday is not the only day. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Uh, Let me say it this way. With moving, I'm tired. It's exhausting. And you kind of, yesterday, when there's still thousands of boxes around, I'm like, I just want to lay down on this new carpet and go to sleep. And my wife is there, boxes, boxes. She's tearing through boxes. I'm, I'm wiped. And I'm like, where do you get, get all this energy? And she's still going. I'm like, I just want a day off. Do you know what, church, as followers of Christ, there is no such thing as a day off. 
from being a follower of Christ. That doesn't mean we rest. That just means we are always followers of Christ. That is a part of who we are. So we are to live holy lives, set apart lives as we wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's bring these two identities together. We are the church of God. We are the sanctified in Christ Jesus. Two foundational statements that tell us who we are as God's people. And the application that Paul draws is that we are to live as saints together. We are called to live holy lives with one another. A recent LifeWay survey revealed, and this was interesting, that 65% of the people surveyed said this. 65%. I can walk with God without other believers. 65%. I had a friend in Baltimore when we lived there who backed this up. He believed, he refused to gather with those hypocrites in church. Jesus was all he needed. He said, Jesus and me, we're good. That's all I needed. Interestingly, and somewhat paradoxically and slightly confusing, the same survey respondents said, 75% of them said, I need other believers to help me grow in my walk with God. So 65% say we don't need others. 75% say we kind of do need others. What is it? You know what? The idea that 65% who say we don't, that 75% who say we do, points to the fact that the church is kind of confused. Let's clear it up. Scripture is clear. Paul's clear. God's word is clear. We need one another. In fact, we are called to live as saints together. You cannot live the Christian life by your lonesome. That is an unfaithful Christian life. My friend who said, I'm good, I got Jesus, that's all I need, was in sin. Look at verse 9. God is faithful. By whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. It says, Paul says, we are called into fellowship. And I believe this fellowship has a twofold component. First and foremost, it is fellowship with Jesus Christ. We enter into a union with him, a relationship. God calls us, saves us, redeems us, and restores us from our sin for God. We are saved into relationship with our Father. He once was not our Father, and he now is. But that's not all we're brought into. That fellowship also means we are brought into the body of Christ. By our very virtue of being united with Christ, we are brought into a fellowship, a relationship with each other here and now in a local place and a time. So what it comes down to is that it's, you don't just get Jesus. It's Jesus plus the church. There's a saying that often floats around in Christian circles, which is remarkably unbiblical. I love Jesus, but not the church. How many have heard that? 
I love Jesus, but not the church. See, those who say that actually have a broken relationship with Jesus. Because they're sitting there saying, I love Jesus, but not his body. You can't do that. Jesus says, you love all of me. I remember when, when Saul was persecuting the church, Jesus came to him in a vision. And he, Paul was killing believers in Christ. Saul at that time. Jesus comes to him and says, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why are you attacking me? When you hate the body of Christ, you hate Christ. When you love the body of Christ, guess what? You love Christ. You cannot love Christ without loving his church. You cannot. But here's the thing, as we all know. Loving one another is hard work. Anyone who's married knows the hard work <laughs> that's involved. That was my wife, by the way. <laughs> Loving one another is hard work, but it's what God calls us to do. God calls us as the body of Christ, the church of God, to live as saints together. He doesn't call you to love Jesus alone. He calls you to love Jesus and his beautiful bride, the messy church, who is beautiful but broken, but is to be loved. And you know what that means? That's the person sitting across from you. That's the person sitting next to you. That's the person who you may avoid in the hallway at church. That's the person you hope doesn't show up Sunday so you don't have to talk to them. That's the person who drives you crazy. Those are the ones that Christ calls us to love, to be saints together. So as we wrap up, if we're called to be saints together, what does this mean for us today, for tomorrow, for the rest of the week? Let me end by offering a, a few practical, fleshing this out. The first thing, we are saints. We are saints. We are the redeemed people of God. Sure, your Sunday face, what you present on Sunday, looks and reflects Christ. What about your Monday face? What about your Tuesday face? Your Wednesday face? Thursday, Friday, Saturday? Parents, do your children see a different you on Sunday morning than Sunday afternoon? As parents, we all know how stressful it is to get kids out of the house. Are you busy yelling at your kids and then as soon as you walk into church, oh, hi, praise Jesus, we're glad to be here. I've done it. Are we living Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde Christian life? Are we different person today than we are the rest of the week? We're called to be saints throughout the week. That means we're called to be saints at our job. So employees, do your employers know and see Christ in you? Do they see how you work? Do they see that you tell the truth? Do you see that you strive for excellence in God's glory? Do they see that you are a saint, a redeemed child of God? 
Children, students, do your classmates see you as different? Or do you look like everyone else? Are you reflecting Christ? Or are you reflecting the world? Does your life at school look like more, than, more like Christ or more like everyone else's life? Because there's a radical difference. See, being a redeemed child of God, a saint, is not something we do, church, for two to three hours on a Sunday morning. It is 24-7, 365. Let me be clear about this point. Being a follower of Christ is not just something we do. It is something we are. It is not just something we do. It is something we are. It is the very fabric of our identity. We are saints. We are the redeemed of God. So the question we need to ask ourselves is this. Who are we reflecting? Who are we reflecting now? Who are we reflecting at 5.30 in the morning tomorrow when that alarm goes off? Who are we reflecting during lunchtime at school? Who are we reflecting after school on the way home? Who are we reflecting on the drive home when we get cut off? Who are we reflecting? The second aspect that we are saints is that we are saints together. The question I want to ask is this. How together are we really? How together, Grace Chapel, are we really? Do you realize that you don't have to wait to the next Sunday to reach out to someone who's not here today? Do you realize that? That you can actually shoot them an email? Send them a text, and you know what's even better? It's calling. Hey, I didn't see you last week. Are you okay? We missed you. Is anything going on? Can I help you out in any way? This is something we do together. We meet here for two to three hours, but Christ calls his church to meet throughout the week, whether that's through text, through emails, through phone calls, through dinners. He doesn't call us for two to three hours on Sunday. If you're just coming and being part of the body of Christ for two to three hours Sunday, you cannot live faithfully the Christian life. God calls us to so much more. This is our job as the people of God, to live together as the people of God. It's the job of the entire church to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We cannot do that if we are not together. And that is not just Sunday morning. We're to encourage one another. How can you encourage someone if you don't even know their name? How can you encourage someone if you're not in their lives? How can you encourage someone if you don't know their hurts and their pains? The day is drawing near. And Hebrews, as I'll read in a minute, calls us to encourage one another all the more. That means we should be doing more encouraging each Sunday, more encouraging each Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, all the more. We need to grow as encouragers because we're called to be saints together and we're called to encourage one another together. 
This is our job, church. This is your job. This is my job. This is part of who we are. This is what we do. We live holy holy lives and we live them together as the body of Christ. Let me end with Hebrews 10, verses 23 to 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Grace Chapel, live as you are called. Live as saints together because the day is drawing near. Let us pray. Our Father, you call us to live together and we confess how hard that is. We confess that Our selfishness pulls and pushes against that because we want to do what we want to do. And your word calls us to live together. And being together is hard work. Help us to encourage one another, even starting today, to good works, to love. May we encourage one another to live as saints together so that you may be glorified so that your bride might be beautiful in the eyes of all who see us give us strength spirit empower us to live empower us to love empower us to serve one another jesus in your great name we give you thanks with prayerful and thankful hearts amen